0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. And Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, will you please take out the Book of Common Prayer from Your pews, that's the maroon thing with the cross on the cover. We're going to be flipping around in it a little bit today. Turn, if you would, to page 355 in the Book of Common Prayer. For those of you who are bad at math, it comes right after page 354. And on page 355 of the prayer book give you another moment to get that up. What is the second thing that you see on that page? The Word of God. The Holy Eucharist, right two and right one for that matter, both ways we celebrate the Holy Eucharist, have two parts to them. The first part is sometimes called the anti-communion, not like it's against communion, just it's before communion. It's like the anti that you put in the pot at the beginning of the hand for all of you wicked people who play poker, uh, or or uh, uh, the anti-pasta if you prefer. But in our prayer books, it is described as the Word of God. If you flip ahead to page 361, you see the only other thing in the Eucharistic service that is printed in the same big font, the Holy Communion. So the two parts of our service when we come to celebrate the Eucharist are the Word of God and the Holy Communion. Ours is a tradition where we take very, very seriously the Word of God. If you flip to the ordinations so, for example, and this is in this, it's in the 500s. If you look at the way a deacon is ordained, flip to 538, page 538 of your prayer books. The very first thing that the bishop asks the person who is to be ordained is, will you be loyal to the doctrine, discipline, and worship of Christ as this church has received them? And will you, in accordance with the canons of this church, obey your bishop and other ministers who may have authority over you and your work? And the answer is, I am willing and ready to do so. And I solemnly declare that I do believe the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God and to contain all things necessary to salvation. I do solemnly engage to conform to the doctrine, discipline, and worship of the Episcopal Church. The exact same response is given by a priest in the course of his ordination. It's a little different for a bishop. If you look on page 513, the bishop says, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, I, state your name, chosen bishop of the church in whatever diocese that is, Solemnly declare that I do believe the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God and to contain things necessary to salvation, that I do solemnly engage to conform to the doctrine, discipline, and worship of the Episcopal Church. So the beginning part's a little bit different, but the same declaration, called the Declaration of Conformity, but the same declaration of confidence in the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as the Word of God is articulated every time. Somebody is ordained in our tradition. And when the consecration of the deacon, the ordination has, has happened after the bishop has prayed and has laid his hands upon the new deacon or the new priest, and the deacon is given the stole to wear, then the first thing the bishop does after that, does anybody know what he does? on page 545 if you don't know. Ron, you got it? He gives him a Bible. He says, receive this Bible as the sign of your authority to proclaim God's Word and assist in the ministration of His holy sacraments. He says the same thing to a priest, adding on, receive this Bible as the sign of the authority given to you to preach the Word of God and to administer His holy sacraments. Do not forget the trust committed to you as a priest of the church of God. A bishop, again, immediately after he is vested in the, the clothes that only a bishop wears is addressed by the presiding bishop who gives him a Bible and says, Receive the Holy Scriptures. Feed the flock of Christ committed to your charge. Guard and defend them in His truth and be a faithful steward of His holy word and sacraments. See, our church has a history. And when I say our church, I mean our Anglican tradition. It came out of the Protestant Reformation back in the 15th and 16th centuries. And one of the things that was vitally important to us at the time was a reclaiming, a recapturing of The importance of Scripture in the life of the church, of basing our teaching and our structures and our conduct on the Holy Word. And I say this as I'm waving around my prayer book. I'm sorry. This is the Bible that I'll wave around. The Bible quotes the prayer book all over the place, by the way. That this Bible is what we're going to place our confidence in, what we're going to treat as our guide. We came from a tradition where the importance of Scripture had not been given adequate attention, where it had been sidelined, where even priests couldn't read it, where the people had it read to them in a language they didn't understand. And so the Reformers said, no, we need to translate this Word into into language that people can actually understand. We, we need to put Bibles, actually have Bibles in churches. And, you know, this was an expensive thing at the time. This is, remember, before the printing press. So you actually literally had to chain them to the, to the uh, lectern in the church so that nobody would walk off on with them. But we placed the reading of Scripture as central in our worship, and we remind ourselves of that centrality every time we ordain somebody to a particular ministry. When our general convention meets, here I have the Constitution and Canons of the Episcopal Church. Any of you who is suffering from insomnia is welcome to borrow this but in the rules of order for both the House of Bishops and the House of Deputies. Now, the House of Deputies meets when General Convention meets every three years. The next time is going to be here in Baltimore in 2021. The House of Bishops meets other times as well. But the very first thing, the very first thing in the rules of order for the House of Bishops is as an indication of our humble dependence upon the Word and Spirit of God. And following the example of primitive councils a copy of the Holy Scriptures shall always be reverently placed in view at all meetings of this house. The exact same language appears in the beginning of the rules of order for the House of Deputies as an indication of our humble defense dependence upon the Word and Spirit of God and following the example of primitive cop- councils, a copy of the Holy Scriptures shall always be reverently placed in view of the meetings of this house. This is important This is something that we take very seriously. In fact, to the point that it it affects the way our churches are built, the way we structure things. If you look on page 408 of your prayer book. 408 is the additional directions. If you're ever wondering why we do certain things the way we do, you may find the answer in the additional directions. And if you don't, you can ask me why we do the things we do. But it says on page four hundred eight, having to do with the way that we said I'm sorry, four oh six, having to do with the way that we handle the word of God in church. It says it's desirable that the lessons be read from a lectern or pulpit and that the gospel be read from the same lectern or from the pulpit or from the midst of the congregation. So, we have an important place in the way we structure the worship space we have here for the Word of God. For the Word of God as it's read in the lections, for the Word of God as it's preached here in the pulpit. Basically, the, the, the three points that are important in any church are the, the bath, the, the font, The desk, the place where the Word is read, and the table, the altar where we gather to receive Christ's body and blood. But the reason that we have these big fancy looking books that we read out of is because we treat this Word as having importance, as having significance, in a different way from other books that we might consult. You may have noticed that these chairs up by the altar don't get used. Much here. It's not that I don't like the chairs, but the reason that I sit in the front pew is because I too, along with the rest of us in the congregation, I am listening attentively upon the word of God before I come up to preach. I, along with everybody else, I'm not presiding over everything that's going on in the the sense that I'm presiding over the the word. I'm listening to it. I am receiving it myself. And the reason why we take this so seriously is what Paul says in his letter to Timothy. The reason why we take Scripture so seriously is what Paul says in his letter to Timothy, that all Scripture is God-breathed. All of it. And it's all useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right before that he says, remember Timothy. From infancy, you've known these holy Scriptures. Timothy, uh, we know from from what Paul says elsewhere, was raised uh, in in the faith, it would have been the Jewish faith, of course, by uh, his mother and grandmother. How from infancy you've known the holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And the other reason is not just that the Scripture is so good, not just that it's so delightful and wonderful and that it teaches us, but because there is error out there. There are ideas that are not in fitting with what God would have us to believe. You remember, as Fred read, right after this, Paul says, Preach the Word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, turning their ears away from the truth and turning aside to myths. There's always a market for ideas that are comfortable, isn't there? There's always a market for people telling you exactly what you want to hear. And Paul says that is not what you're supposed to be about, Timothy. In fact, the really spicy part is, as usual, what doesn't get included in the lectionary. It's what Paul says before this. Listen to this. It's beginning chapter 3. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, Yankee fans, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. have nothing to do with them. These are the kind of people who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just like Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. Men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected, but they won't get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear. To everyone. Nobody could lay down a good burn like Paul. Except Jesus. No, this word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. But it's also a guard against error. And so, in light of the fact that this is so important to us, there are three things that I want to commend to your consideration as God's holy people. Three things having to do with the reading of Holy Scripture. The first is to consider reading along. Now, I actually like when I sit in church and I hear the Scriptures read. I like, I like hearing it read rather than reading along. And if that is the way that God speaks to you, of course, in the early church, most of us would have been illiterate and, uh, and perhaps some still are, but uh, we, we, we would have needed somebody to read it to us because we couldn't read ourselves. But it can also be profitable to read along with the lections as they are being read. And here's an idea. You could even read along in your own Bible. I mean, we, we have them, here, you're certainly welcome to use these, although the type's kind of small. But, but there is there is nothing wrong. It's okay. Episcopalians can also bring their Bibles to church. You know, read along. The more you do that, the more familiar you will get. The more acquainted you will get with where to find the things. There's really no substitute for using the Bible to get to know the Bible. Eventually, you find you don't have to look to the book of index or table of contents to find things. Read along with your own Bible, even. The second is to wallow around in Psalm 119. I was giving Kay a hard time. Psalm 119 is the longest book in the Bible. Uh, When I was in seminary, uh, we had a a kind of a crisis. The faculty went on strike, and there was this one time where we had this vigil in the chapel, and everybody would come, and you know somebody would call out a hymn, and we would sing it, or somebody would call out a psalm, and I. kind of got an attitude, and I called out Psalm 119. And for the next half an hour, we were reading that psalm at each other, one side of the chapel and the other, switching verses. But Psalm 119 is an extended love song to the Word of God. It is a poem that's all about the Bible. And if you read it and you're like, wow, this guy seems a little weird, he seems a little obsessed, keep reading it until maybe you get the way that he's feeling. It's magnificent, it's beautiful, it's basically a a tenth of the Psalter. And third, and this is something that I want to encourage you to consider for the coming year, read the whole thing. Many of us have had the opportunity to read certain books of the Bible, or maybe you've, you've done a study of a certain portion of it, but The fact is when you're trying to read it on your own and you find yourself in a list of evil kings one after the other after the other, it can be tough sledding. And there are a number of schemes that people have devised for reading through the Bible in a year. So I'm going to get one of those that I've used in the past and I'll have those little... Basically, it's a little bookmark and you check off the readings every time you do them. I'll have those available. And so you may want to plan and you have plenty of time to plan, to spend time in the next year, in the new year, reading the whole thing. In fact, I'll tell you, if we get a half a dozen people who want to do it, I will be glad to meet with you every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock as we talk about that week's readings. And if we don't, I'll just sit in my office and drink my coffee. (laughs) But it's good stuff. And you realize how good it is the more time you spend with it. So, I want us to conclude by opening our prayer books one more time, this time to page 236. Prayer for Proper 28. We'll get to this in a month or so here in church. will you pray with me now, proper 28 on page 236. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy Scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast, the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you've given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.